0: Alright, if you want to turn to Luke chapter 2, we're going to be, start there, and I'm going to read it in a little bit. Most of us have dreamed about meeting a famous person, right? You know, somebody that has been kind of our hero, or somebody that uh, we've looked up to, or idolized, and it would be pretty cool to meet them, Right? Who are some of the heroes you'd like to meet? I had a, literally a dream that I prayed for Jay-Z. What did he say? Jay-Z. He said he had, he, had, he had a dream that he got to witness to him. Who else? Julia Roberts. All right. So, you know, to get their autograph or to shake their hand or or to be able to, you know... Okay, Melissa, we're done, okay? It's funny when we have the opportunity to meet a famous person or sign their autograph or or get their autograph. Isn't it the the way it comes back is we come back and we we tell our friends, I know so-and-so, right? (laughs) Or like, I mean, we met and talked for seven seconds. And... And I'll never forget them, although they don't have a clue anymore of who I am. Um, When I was growing up, uh, my dad was a pastor. And we would often go to special Bible conferences or down in Oregon or in Seattle. And there were all these special speakers that, um, you know, did the speaking circuit, I guess. And were kind of my... Heroes growing up, and I had a Bible. Um, for those of you that are really old, um, Schofield Reference Bible. And in the front few pages of that Bible, it was filled with autographs of different speakers that um, had spoken. They were my they were my heroes back in the day. Men that just really loved Jesus and uh, were well known for for about him, but for a long time, that was like one of my valued possessions. Probably one of the most famous, memorable relationships that I've had was uh, when I was going to, to graduate school in Dallas, Texas, and uh, the first Sunday that uh, my roommate and I arrived in Dallas, Texas... We went to a church, actually it was called Schofield Memorial, I guess same guy that wrote the Bible, you know, or, or the study Bible. Um, and that first Sunday, a friend of ours said, hey, do you want to meet Dr. Ryrie, was his name, Dr. Charles Ryrie. And I said, yeah, I'd love to. He, he had written, I'll show you, the Ryrie Study Bible. Yeah, and he had written dozens of books. He was a well-known professor, and I thought, well, yeah, I'd love to meet Dr. Ryrie. Well, it it so ended up that he was a very gracious man, so he invited my roommate and I out to to lunch that day. And uh, amazingly, we got to know him. I taught his son tennis lessons, and went to his house to go swimming all the time, and. Um, built a really good, you know, more than a seven-second relationship with him, um, to where when Cindy and I were married 34 years ago, uh, Dr. Ryrie uh, flew up and married the two of us. Um, I, If you want to shake my hand later, you know, because I've... <laughs> Be, because we were good friends, and you know, kind of by osmosis, it says, For Dave, thanks for your friendship, you know. And I, you know, so <laughs> anyway, that's my claim to fame. <laughs> um, in John chapter 12, verse 21. I was reading these verses a couple of weeks ago, and they, they struck me as um, some foreigners, they're called Greeks, came to one of Jesus' disciples, Philip was his name, and they asked him this. They said, we want to see Jesus. Can you help us? That's in the message translation of the Bible. Man, that just struck me. It's thinking about people that we'd like to meet and we'd like to get to know. They came to Philip and they said, we want to see Jesus. Can you help us? And as I read that, I thought, man, what an incredible, what an incredible question. Can you help us to meet Jesus? And coming out of reading that, um, Daniel and I talked and we said, you know, and and so, for the next four weeks, that's what we're going to focus on. We're going to focus on this helping people to see Jesus. And maybe for some of you here this morning, that'll be you. I mean, you might be somebody here this morning that um, has heard about Jesus. Or maybe you haven't heard about Jesus. Or maybe, you're, maybe you have some ideas about Jesus. And maybe they're not even accurate. Or uh. So, the next four weeks to spend this time helping you to see Jesus. Or maybe you're someone who, you know, if someone were to come up to you at work or at school or on the ferry or in your neighborhood and say, could you tell me about Jesus? You'd probably fall over, for, you know. But if somebody were to ask you, you know, what do you know about Jesus? What would you tell them? What would you tell them? Uh, We might start by quoting John 3.16. Probably a lot of us know that. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But after that, what would you do? What would you tell them? If somebody really wants to know about Jesus, wants to see Jesus, um, what would you tell them? So this is our goal. Just two things. And maybe it's to answer two questions. Why is Jesus such an important person in history? And and I would say the most important person in history. I mean, consider this. Um, in speaking of ancient history, we say we refer back to maybe 234 BC, right? Or 1100 B.C. And what does B.C. stand for? That's right. And then when we talk about modern day history, um, 2014 A.D., what does that stand for? Very good. I thought some of you were going to say after death because that can be confused. It's Anno Domini, in the year of the Lord. Isn't that incredible that this person, Jesus, is such a central person i would say the most central person in history that history itself is divided according to him and his life it's interesting that you know in the in the modern world that we live in uh, there's some people that are wanting to change bc and ad to bce and ce you know what bce stands for Before the Common Era and CE, the Common Era, to take out the religious connotations or, you know, the references to Jesus. But, you know, the incredible thing is, no matter how you change the words, it's still the same dividing of history based on the life of this person, Jesus. So, why is he so important? You know, I think that's what was going through the the minds of these these Greeks as they came to Jesus' disciple Philip and said, You know, we want to meet Jesus. Can you help us? Because they had just witnessed thousands of people cutting palm branches and throwing them on the road and taking off their coats and putting them on the road for Jesus' donkey to ride over on his way to Jerusalem. And as they did that, these this crowd of people were yelling, Hosanna, which means save us. And blessed is this one who comes in the name of the Lord. And these Greeks are thinking, who is this person? (laughs) We want to know him. We want to find out about him. And I trust that there are some of you here this morning that are in that same camp. You're saying, man, if history itself is divided based upon this person and his life, how can I get to know him? And the second is for Again, those of you who are confident that you know him, but maybe not so confident that you can introduce him to someone else, that these next few weeks would help you and encourage you to help others to also meet Jesus. So, who is Jesus? We're going to go to Luke chapter 2. If you go there, verse 22, and I'm going to read a few verses. Luke 2.22. These are great verses and just introducing us to the first thing we're going to look about Jesus. And that's that he is the promised one. That's what we're going to look at today. What is so... Why you want to get to know this person, Jesus, is because he is... The Promised One. Okay? That's what we're going to talk about. Luke 2, 22. And this is after Jesus, he's just eight days old. He's been born in Bethlehem. It says, When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, meaning this is what the law of Moses required of an eight-day-old baby, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now as they arrive in the temple, verse 25, it says, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, or the comfort, the one who would bring comfort to Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him, and it it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah, or you could say the Promised One. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and when the parents, Joseph and Mary, brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying... And these are amazing words. This is an eight-day-old baby that he's holding in his arms as he says this. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. You get that? He had been, it had been promised to him by God that he would not die until he saw the Messiah, the promised one. And as he holds this baby in his arms, he says, my eyes have now seen your salvation or your saviour. Your promised deliverer. Down to verse 36, it says, There was also a prophet, or a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. And at the same time that Simeon's holding this little baby in his arms, it says, she coming up to them at that very moment, gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. The Redeemer. The Savior. The Messiah. The Promised One. Um... Who was this child Jesus? I mean, it's really clear here. He was the promised one for whom they'd been waiting. And let me tell you, in the Bible, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. Because thousands of years before... As recorded in the Bible, the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, the first book of the Pentateuch, by Moses, given to him by God, was the promise in Genesis 3.15. And this is what the promise, in essence, says. It says, Someday, a deliverer will come, who will by his death destroy the devil and bring deliverance and salvation and restoration of a relationship with God. Because you see, way back in Genesis chapter 3, if you remember, and, that Adam and Eve had been tricked by the devil. They believed his lie, that they could become like God if they ate from this tree. And eating, disobeying God, they sinned. They were separated from God. They were banished from God's presence. And it's like all hope... Fell away. They were created for relationship with God, but by that act of disobedience and independence from God, they were banished from God's presence. Their sin separated them from God and, and hope of relationship with Him. But in Genesis 3:15, there's this glimpse of hope, and it's that hope that was held onto to for thousands and thousands and thousands of years until Simeon and Anna in the temple. Holding this baby, look at this baby and they say, this is the one that you prepared in the sight of all peoples, the one who is your promised deliverer. Way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. You know, it was for thousands of years that people longed for and looked for that day, the day that the promised one would finally come and be the deliverer. The Savior. You know, along the way, there were a lot of false hopes. And, and throughout history, there's been false hopes. Even after the promised one, Jesus, came, there's been other false hopes, false messiahs, people that have claimed to be the promised one. The, the question this morning is, how, how could they know who the promised one really was? the one promised in Genesis 3.15 to be the one who would restore relationship with God that had been ripped apart by sin, how could they know who that promised one was? How can we know? And and the good news is God didn't leave it up to us to guess. Um, I'm kind of talking about old people this morning. I guess I'm feeling old. I, How many of you ever saw, maybe Nickelodeon channel has To Tell the Truth, the old TV show. No, that's like ancient history. Okay. Anybody here ever see To Tell, whoever raises their hand, you know that they're not as young as Joey. Okay. (laughs) Okay, To Tell the Truth, this is the way it went. See, you guys missed out on just... Important history. Uh, to tell the truth, they would they would put three three people would be um, sitting in the in these chairs, and they would all claim to be, let's say, Dave Frederick. <laughs> and and so there would be this you know contestant that would ask them questions, trying to figure out. And they would all answer the question and they'd say, I am Dave Frederick. All three of them would say that. And they would be asked questions. Were you born in Florida? And finding out from their answers, they would try to figure out who the real Dave Frederick was. I wasn't born in Florida. Um, God didn't leave it to chance like that. So even though there's been false hopes and false messiahs throughout the years, that says, I'm the messiah, I'm your hope, I'm the promised one. God, it's incredible. In the Old Testament, meaning the first part of the Bible, there are over 300, 300 prophecies about who this promised one would be. That's a lot. Over 300 promises. I want you to get that 300 different prophecies... ...made by many different prophets over many years. All of them, all of them needing to be fulfilled by one person. All of them needing to be fulfilled by that one person. If that one person was to be the true promised one... All of those prophecies would have to be fulfilled in them. And they were in the person of Jesus. Isn't that credible? So what we're going to do here really quickly, I have my wife and Melissa are going to pass out some papers um, that just give you a glimpse. And I'm I'm just going to... I had these printed so that you can keep them. And just give you just an idea of how amazing and impossible it would be for all of these prophecies to just be fulfilled by chance. And how evident it is that the promised one, Jesus, truly did fulfill these prophecies and truly was the promised one. So there's just a few of them here. All 300 aren't here. As they're passing them out, I'm gonna just kind of give you a glimpse of what some of these are. The first one, it says that the promised one was to be born in Bethlehem. Micah 5, 2. Was he? Absolutely, he was. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And 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 done in a way that God had to orchestrate history in order for it to happen, because Caesar. Gave an order for the world to, for a census to be taken of the Roman world. And everybody had to go back to the land of their family's birth. In order for that census to be taken. And so Joseph and Mary living in Nazareth. With her about ready to give birth to Jesus. Where he would have been born. Because of God's orchestrating of history. And Mary and Joseph having to travel to Bethlehem when they arrived there. That's where she gave birth to Jesus. What was prophesied in Micah five two, as you see in Matthew two one, Luke chapter two, it happened. Isaiah chapter seven it says that he would be born of a virgin. In Genesis twelve that he would be a descendant of Abraham. Uh, Genesis forty nine ten that he'd be from the tribe of Judah, that he'd be of the house of David, a descendant of David. Is what we read in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And and we could go on and on and on. Over 300 prophecies. Do you get the enormity of that? All finding their fulfillment. In one person. Jesus. That's what had to happen. For the legitimate promised one. To be the promised one. And that's what happened. In the person of Jesus. And so the prophecies are about his life, about his miracles, about riding into Jerusalem, about being betrayed by 30 pieces of silver, about his death, his resurrection, his ascension. Incredible. All of them perfectly fulfilled in Jesus. Now, the odds of it's it's kind of funny i was looking last night on the uh on the internet about the odds of different things okay i think the what, what are the odds of getting struck by lightning in your lifetime 1 in 3000 so if you've lived more than 3000 days there's a chance you could get struck by lightning so the odds of getting struck by lightning in your lifetime 1 in 3000. The odds of being injured by a toilet. Kind of a kind of a weird statistic. 1 in 10,000. <laughs> okay. The odds of getting killed by a shark 1 in 3.7 million. That's comforting. Unless <laughs> unless you live in California, there is Actually, a guy that just yesterday got bit by a white shark but wasn't killed. The odds of dying from an asteroid or a comet, it's a lot less than the odds of getting killed by a shark. Between 1 in 3,000 and 1 in 250,000. So, pretty good odds of getting hit by a comet. The odds of your car hitting a deer in Hawaii. The state where where that is the least likely to occur occur is 1 in 6,787, in case you wanted to know that. For those of you that are allergic to bees, the odds of dying from a bee sting, 1 in 2. No, I was just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) I'm allergic to bees. Okay, one in six million. So it's a lot better than one in two. Yeah. Last one. The odds, the average odds of winning a Powerball lottery. You all, you are all going to want to rush out and buy a ticket after this. One in one hundred and seventy-six million. That's about half of the United States population. But this is what I want you to consider. These are the odds of just seven of the 300 prophecies being fulfilled in one person. Just seven of them. This is, these are the seven. That Jesus would be a descendant of David. That he would be born in Bethlehem, that he would work supernatural miracles, that he would present himself king by riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. I've never done that. Um, that he would be betrayed by thirty pieces of silver, that he would be crucified, and this one is so exact, it's incredible. Well although they that Jesus would present himself as king 173,880 days from the decree of Artaxerxes to rebuild Jerusalem. And that is a fact. The odds of all of those put together are 10 to the 38th power. One in a hundred billion, 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 billion. So I'd just like to conclude by a couple of questions. The, the evidence is so clear that the promised one promised way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 that a deliverer would come, be the hope of the world to restore relationship with God to sinful people. That the hope of restoring Restoration of relationship would be through this person and through how he would live, how he would be born, how he would die. Um, maybe one of the questions I just want to answer this that that some of you might be asking is if the evidence was that clear, why did they crucify him? for those of you that you know why would they crucify him if the evidence was and is that clear? And those prophecies are in the Old Testament and Jesus was fulfilling them in his life. And in fact, by his death, fulfilled them. Why would they crucify him? Two things that I just, just to get you thinking. The first one, Jesus told a parable when he was, a living and it was a parable about a vineyard maybe you'll remember it and he told about how it was a story of a king planting a vineyard and putting some people in charge of his vineyard and then the time for the harvest came and and one one by one the this king sent people to collect the harvest of grapes he sent a servant and but the people that were taking care of the vineyard they 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 saw these servants coming to collect the harvest and they thought well you know this is our vineyard now we're not going to give the harvest to the king and so some they beat up and and others they killed others they just cast out of the vineyard until it came to the point to where the king he was thinking you know the only way that the keepers of the vineyard are going to honor my wishes to give me the harvest as if I send my own son. And so he did. He sent his own son. And and as the son was coming to take possession of the vineyard, uh, the, the keepers of the vineyard, they saw him coming. They said, you know, this is the son. If we kill him, the vineyard will be ours. And that's what they did. And, and the story Jesus was really telling about himself and about God as Father, and how God had created the world, and 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 this people that were to be protectors of His vineyard. And yet, the protectors of that vineyard. And Jesus was speaking really clearly about the the religious leaders of the day that Jesus was leading. That they had come to the point to where they had forgotten what they were—the vineyard that they were keeping—that they were to be the keeper of God's people, directing them to God and and helping the people hope for and look forward to the coming of the Messiah. But they had become so power hungry <laughs> that they decided that they, even though they knew this son was the promised one, they didn't want him because they had come. To have the power themselves, and so they killed the promised one, the son of the king. And so, I think the first reason it's really clear, and Jesus says, and John always says, He came at His own, but His own didn't receive Him. They didn't receive Him because they didn't want the deliverer, they wanted the power for themselves, they wanted the to live in separation from the king. And so the first reason is that they had come to not even want the king. And and that's why a lot of people in our world reject Jesus, isn't it? Even though the evidence is so clear that he is the one promised to come and be our savior and deliver, it's like, but but we like our sin, (laughs) We like living our lives the way we want to live them. We don't want the king. We don't want a deliverer. We want to do what we want to do. And that's exactly how it was back in Jesus' day. The other is why they crucified him. And I'm just going to read in Acts chapter 2 really quickly. In Acts chapter 2 verse 23. As Peter was talking on the day of Pentecost. He says, This man Jesus was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge and you with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him on the cross. And so it was also part of God's plan. It was God's deliberate plan that the Messiah would come and be born and live and do miracles but that he would die and by his death he would provide for us life by the payment of our sins. The second question why is this so important? Why did I, why did we bother to talk about this this morning? The promised one? Because it, two things I just want to leave us with. Number one, it tells us a lot about God's character. God made a promise in Genesis 3.15, right after Adam and Eve had sinned and they'd become separated from God and there was no hope. But God made a promise and He said... A Deliverer is coming. I'm sending a Savior. And God kept His promise. If He hadn't, there would be no hope for us here this morning, for anyone. There would be no hope for restoration of a relationship with God if, if Jesus Himself hadn't come because God kept His promise. But the second is, not only did God keep His promise... and. But it offers, like I said, it offers us hope. We, because the promised one came, we have hope. We have a deliverer. We have a savior. Because in, you know, in Acts chapter four, it says there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is no other answer. There is no other hope. Jesus said in John fourteen six. He says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." No one comes to the Father except through me. There's a lot of answers and offers of hope out there, but there's only one true answer because there's only one promised one. You get that? There's only one person in history who fulfilled in himself all 300 of those prophecies that were made about this is who the promised one, the Savior, the Deliverer will be. So, if you want to say, well, I don't know, I think I'm going to believe in this person or or this way or this answer, you've got to answer this question How can that person be the promised one if they didn't fulfill the prophecies that Jesus did? And so, because he came, we have hope, we have a deliverer, we have a savior from our sin. That separates us from God, and now we can know God. (laughs) We can know Him. (laughs) And those of us that know Him can offer Him to others the hope of the world, the Savior, the Deliverer. Just a final challenge if Jesus is so clearly the Promised One in the Bible, I don't think you can get around it. It's history. What are we doing about it? What are are you doing about it? What difference is this Jesus making in your life? Because, see, history is divided by this person. All the prophecies were fulfilled in this person. He is such the most important person in history. We have got to say what is my life going to be like now in relationship to this person? What am I going to do now that I know about this person? This person, Jesus. So as I pray, you know, if any of you would like to talk to me afterwards, I'd love to talk to you. If you want to say, can you help me see Jesus? There's also going to be some people in that back roasting room if you'd like to pray with them or talk with them. I can't, tell you how important this question is. What are you going to do about Jesus, the promised one? Let's pray. Father, wow, incredible uh, how much you love us and, and what you went through to provide us a promised one, a Savior. And a deliverer. And that that person is Jesus. Oh Father I just pray that you would open. Every one of our eyes. Just even a little bit more. To see Jesus. And to know him. Amen.